Visit ScreenSpec.com to stay up to date on what movies and shows you should be keeping up with. Hi, Devin. It's very nice to meet you. I'm Mariana. <laughs> very nice to meet you, too. <laughs> Nothing like technical difficulties to make the bonding process, yeah. you know, all that much quicker. <laughs> it, it really speeds us along. <laughs> I was editing the last episode, and I realized that I didn't set the microphone to record, so it recorded, like, straight from the, my laptop. And I was like, you know what? Whatever, you know, yeah. but I'm not getting paid for this, so right. <laughs> no one's getting hurt, only me. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a, it's been a good week. I saw Jaws and IMAX last night, and we're really uh, still riding that high. <sighs> they didn't cancel it because of the queen dying for you? They didn't. They didn't. I was very excited. Thank um, God. The, the bonus <laughs> of living in Maine, where everyone's like, the queen who? <laughs> who? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, former colonies here? I don't think so. Yeah, just just give me Spielberg. It's fine. I'll, I'll stay with that king, not this whole <laughs> Charles thing that's happening. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> Honestly, I'd rather have the person that made Jaws rule over me than whatever's going on over there in England. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, you know that Spielberg knows how to keep something in line, but like pretty good collaborator, seems to actually care about other people's ideas and needs. And uh, I don't know, I take it. He seems to be he seems to be doing pretty well. <laughs> I mean, anybody that creates a giant animatronic shark for their movie, yeah, they can be my king. I'll let yeah. it happen. Yeah, I'll even, I'll eat the fact that he sunk too to the bottom <laughs> of the ocean because he screwed it up. You know, like, I'll take that because three sharks, one of them worked. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> One out of three. That's not, that's not that bad. Yeah. You know? Pretty good odds. <laughs> Did he really sink two sharks? Yeah. It's like, it's a famously flawed production where he just like, he was 29 when he made Jaws, which is its own thing that I don't want to think about ever. Um, but yeah, they lost some sharks. Robert Shaw was like ragingly drunk during the Indianapolis <laughs> thing. So they had to shoot it a bunch of times. It's just like, I don't know how this movie got the fact that it's a masterpiece is that much <laughs> of a miracle because I feel like I don't know you have drunk Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfus, who's famously a dick just on the same <laughs> set and you're like trying to get a shark to work <sighs> incredible I, I know that this episode is not Jaws but I, we this is amazing to me <laughs> finding out that they sung two sharks before they got the right one yeah and the they're still down there. As far as I know, nobody ever got the animatronic shark off the bottom of the ocean. So, like, I don't know. Honestly, that's the James Cameron doc I want. Like, fuck the Titanic. Just, fuck like, the Titanic. take the little sub to the bottom and be like, here is the shark. It has rusted. I want it. Everybody was drunk that day it sunk in the sea. <laughs> but no one died. Yeah. So, yeah, if Jim Cameron, if you're listening... Stop making Avatar movies oh, and God. don't make this doc. We've had enough with the first one. Yeah. We don't need any more. No. I I don't know. I mean, it's wild to me that Cameron can make all these amazing movies in the 80s and 90s. And then, like, probably his legacy is going to be wild 3D and, like, 
ponytail sex because because he made Avatar, and uh, we all had to suffer through it. <laughs> he really went through a midlife crisis and made it our yeah, problem. He did. Huh? He said yeah. he made it everybody's problem. Yeah, and you know what? Really, I think it just went downhill when he divorced Catherine Bigelow, and it's like <laughs> you fucked up, Jim. She took the brains in the divorce. I'm yeah. kidding, James. <laughs> if you're listening to this, don't sue me. It's fine. I think Catherine Bigelow would pay all the legal fees. So, uh, what a feminist queen! I can love her. She's like not on my her. watch. <laughs> I swear, this podcast is not meant to be a rose session of directors <laughs> and <laughs> their messy divorces and their weird alien fetish. Yeah, sex scenes. I, I mean, it's good. You're getting the full Devon experience, which is just like my. So I studied film in undergrad and it's just been my whole, my whole thing. Right. And so it just becomes weird film history tangents, <laughs> which my girlfriend loves because she's not a movie person. And I say loves with massive air quotes um, because she's like, Oh, I love him. Yeah. So I, you know, this is just yeah. one of his quirks. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, but no, let me tell you about how near dark led to this. And, <laughs> He's like, I'm going to go hike a mountain. You'll be done in a few hours. Jesus Christ, not this again. Yeah. Yeah. Love you, Chelsea. (laughs) Shout out to Chelsea, Devin's girlfriend. Uh, She loves him just the way that he is. Yes. God willing. Devin, thank you so much. And um, welcome to Let's Talk for Reels, where I bring in a guest and we just discuss their favorite movies. And if we go off on tangents about sharks in the depths of the ocean and alien sex, that's perfectly fine. Um, it's, it's par for the course. <laughs> it's just ex- it's expected at this point. There's no real rhyme or you know reason. Or I, I remember was it? I don't remember if it was you or someone else. Oh, do you want some talking points? And I'm like, talking yeah. points. That's something people do for podcasts. <laughs> I do, you know it's like that thing where I always like to check, right? Because okay, I am an aggressive over planner who like will have spreadsheets and all that bullshit because yeah. I'm nuts. Um, <laughs> and I, I love walking in being like, no, we just get to vibe. Um, but I always like to check because if you have the same neuroses that I do, I want to respect that. But you know, like, let's just vibe. <laughs> let's just vibe. That's the point of this. I think every other aspect of my life is aggressively planned that this podcast, I was like, you know what? No thoughts, head empty, just vibing. And that's the theme of this podcast, as you can tell by the name, by the person running it. So <laughs> this is it. This is all I have to offer. But um, <laughs> welcome, Devin. And um, just, you know, introduce yourself. Uh, give us a little background on who you are, what you do, how you erroneously landed in this podcast. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, let's go. I'll, I'll give you the, the Devon story. Um, so thank you so much for having me off the bat. So I'm Devin. Um, I, I don't know exactly where the, the film bug caught me, um, but I'm the child of two therapists, which explains a lot about me. And one of those therapists, my mother, is an art therapist and is a huge movie person. Um, so I was raised on Hitchcock. Uh, she's actually, her name is Rebecca. And we found out recently that her grandmother named her after the Hitchcock movie, but you know, the crazy ghost who's, 
who's dead um, is is the namesake. So it's really in my it's in my veins. Um, and I studied film at Middlebury, where I went to undergrad, and I'm currently in a screenwriting MFA. So I've, I've devoted a lot of my uh, time, energy, and money, cries, um, to, <laughs> to what I love. Um, and I am lucky enough to write about it uh, on the side. Um, my day job is in higher ed comms and marketing, um, but I'm a senior writer and critic over Geek Vibes Nation, um, and I've been able to contribute some stuff I really love to Film Hounds, Mag, and Film Cred. Um, and some other places. And I'm always looking to work with new people. So if anyone's listening and is like, this crazy motherfucker sounds like somebody <laughs> I want to work with, find me. <laughs> um, but but one of the places that I've just loved reading is ScreenSpec. And so when I saw your tweet about wanting guests, I was like, absolutely. Um, especially, I got to try and come on and somehow top Veronica talking about Johnny Knoxville, Ooh. which I think might be impossible. But you know, I'm going to give it give it my best go um and and go from there so that's me and you've already heard about my my takes on jaws and, and james cameron so what uh what and they're they're wonderful let me tell you something they are that's exactly what i expect when people come come on here and they're like i love film i'm not looking for a historical depiction of film i'm looking for your most insane obscure facts and takes because Phenomenal. it's just i mean i just think about I don't think about Avatar all that often, but when I do, I do think about that freaky alien sex. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh God. <laughs> it, was, it was the movie that they put on. So I'm from Southern Maine and one of our like big places we would take trips in school was to Boston. So it was like, oh, it's the big city. It's two hours away. Um, and one trip was like, it was the eighth grade trip, like with those little shitty bus TVs, you know, oh, there would be God. like every five rows and the audio's out of sync and whatever. They just threw Avatar on both ways. I was That's like, torture. I don't know. That is torture. Know. Yeah. I really should sue, you know? Child services should have been called immediately. Yeah. I should have gotten taken out of. But anyway, I made it. I'll blame that on how I am. <sighs> well, Devin, thank you so much for joining us. I have to shout out FilmCred because I wrote for FilmCred and they have incredible writers and editors and Sarah, who is the editor-in-chief of FilmCred. She's been incredibly helpful with um, helping me with the site and um, WordPress. So shout out to them. I mean, they're a really great site. You guys should go check them out. And check out De Devin, where can they find you? I mean, we're going to do this at the end again, but I yeah. feel like since you've, you've already started promoting yourself and that's what this podcast is. Yeah. Okay. Self-promotion. Yes. Shameless self-promotion. No um, shame. No so shame. best place to find me is on Twitter. Um, that's kind of, <laughs> it's my crutch. Um, but I'm at Devin two names because my full name is Devin McGrath Conwell, hyphenated last name, you know, I had to make oh. a pun. So at Devin two names, um, and I, you know, more money into the passion, set up an authory page so you can find that at the link and, uh, you know, be subjected to all of my ramblings, especially about masculinity, horror, um, and, uh, you know, anything else that strikes my fancy. Oof. I, everything will be linked down below, of course, because that's something I say now in a podcast. Everything is linked down below, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no sponsors yet. Yeah. Um, It'll Can't come. Wait. 
I can't wait for that Casper mattress sponsorship. It's going to be like <laughs> a free mattress. It's over for everybody. It's yeah. quite literally over. <laughs> like That's I peaked. Right. Yeah. You'll just podcast from the Casper. From the mattress, yeah. Like laying like, hello, <laughs> welcome to this podcast. <laughs> I'm actually right now enjoying my Casper mattress. And you can get a discount. No. no sponsor yet, but Casper mattress, if you're listening yeah. to this. Devin, you mentioned masculinity and horror, which is yes. absolutely apt for what we're about to talk about, which is John Carpenter's Halloween, the original, the 70s Halloween. Yes. To start off, when was the first time you watched Halloween and what were your first impressions of watching Halloween? Yeah, so I I came to horror and Halloween later, um, I think in terms of proper horror. Uh, like I said, Hitchcock was a really big part of my um, my growing up. And as a child, I was only allowed to watch PBS or TCM because, again, <laughs> hashtag therapy parents. Um, so a lot of my kind of film and TV education was old school. Um, but, you know, Halloween wasn't exactly something TCM was playing in the early aughts. Um, but I think I can't tell you exactly the first time I saw it. But I know that I was a teenager and um, I loved Psycho. And the lineage from Psycho to Halloween um, with, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis or the naming Loomis and everything, it's there. So I thought, well, okay, I'll give it a go. Um, and I was absolutely blown away. Um, my, my first, well, not even first, my upteenth hot take of the podcast is that I think <laughs> Halloween is a perfect movie. Um, and the more I watch it, the more I feel that way. Um, I think that the first time watch is just being completely taken in by how tight and taut everything is. Just it's a it's a vehicle to terrify you, and it succeeds. I think at just about every turn. And now, what forty seven years later, um, I don't even know how many times I've rewatched it, but I just am in awe of how. This movie that John Carpenter was like, yeah, I'm going to bang this out for some money and then move along, just comes to define him, comes to launch Jamie Lee and all this stuff and holds up as just, it's just unreal. And like Michael Myers, as far as creations of monsters, you see the Michael Myers mask as a kid out on real Halloweens. And so you know it, but then you see it in action and as an embodiment of evil running through this movie to just be like, actually those white suburbs that everyone's like, this is great are actually fucking unhinged. <laughs> um, it's, it's pretty pristine. Um, and I know you also love it. Okay, so how, I, how did you come to Halloween? Halloween? First of all, John put his whole Carpentusi into this. <laughs> into this. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> he might have he might have just banged it out, but like I love everything about this movie because it's the perfect movie and it's the perfect slasher and it's the slasher movie. And I know a lot of people would say that um Psycho is probably one of the first slashers and yeah. But to me, Halloween, I mean you start off the movie with a shot of a POV of a little kid with a mask on. And you don't find that out until after he kills his sister. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> if you haven't seen this movie. What are you doing? What are you <laughs> doing? Like you can't. With your life, with your day. 
like you pop it on and it's like if it's raining a rainy afternoon or a rainy night put halloween on and like trust us you're gonna like out of body experience but um i watched for the first time this movie in grad school while doing my film studies um masters which was also a labor of love and of not money because your girl was able to get a uh teaching assistant stipend so they paid for my masters um but that, that's the win i'm so proud of you <laughs> and you also so, so jealous <laughs> trust me it was no easy feat having to edit hundreds and hundreds of uh freshman papers but uh, we made it <laughs> here we are but I took a horror class. Um, my, my professor, Dr. Amy Ross, she created this class and she came from Berkeley and she did her PhD there and she created that class from there. And I wasn't much of a horror fan because I, I used to believe I was very scared of them. And after that class, it's like a switch just came on mm -hmm. and I was just a fervent addict of horror movies. And I just started watching all kinds of horror movies. And one of the movies we watched on there was Halloween. And I was just mesmerized with the camera work, the score, Ugh. Jamie Lee Curtis as Lori, um, just how raunchy and 80s it felt, but at the same time, it felt so incredibly horrific because yeah. if you've ever babysat for someone <laughs> at night, <laughs> that is your worst nightmare. Yeah, Michael that's, Myers comes at you. <laughs> that's your worst nightmare. So that's my introduction to Halloween. I mean, it's it, everything. Everything you say is just so so on the mark, and it's just the thing about Halloween. And I think to your point about starting slashers, right? It's like it's in this interesting time where, like, Black Christmas and Texas Chainsaw come out in 1974, the year before which I think are both hugely influential and important movies now. But like at the time, they were just like, it was a cult thing, especially mm -hmm. Black Christmas. Um, and you got 18 years before, you have Psycho and Peeping Tom in 1960. But that's like, you know, they are, both of those movies are more, I would say, psychological mm -hmm. with some shock value for a 60s audience. But yeah, 1975, Halloween comes out. And while almost every single slasher that came out for the next 20 years learned all the goddamn wrong reasons <laughs> from this movie, um, except with, with the exception of my beloved Wes Craven, A Nightmare on Elm Street, but Friday the 13th, fuck off. Never. <laughs> just, I don't need you, Jason. I don't need anything. <laughs> but it, it just like, it creates, it takes so much from the classical approach i mean like carpenter has been very clear about his love for hitchcock and you know i think especially we see so many of the like tracking and reverse tracking shots as people mm -hmm. are walking throughout halloween it's like oh yeah i'm pulling that shit in but he just blows up so much of what we expect and i think also somebody who should get a lot of credit who often gets left out is deborah hill who yeah. co-wrote it and produced it and was dating him at the time um and she she was such a big part of like, yeah, okay, let's make these teenage girls real. Let's not just do like, you know, the screaming damsel in distress, um, which actually there's an incredible limited podcast that Amy Nicholson did on The Ringer 
um, about Halloween, um, where she really gets into it. She talks to everyone. It's it's an incredible piece of film scholarship that's like, let's look at the history of the key collaborators and the movie and the afterwards and whatever. Um, And she does a great job of getting everyone to talk about Deborah Hill. And um, I think that, you know, it just, it sets these standards from character, from scares and like that opening you talked about. I just, that as somebody who also works in production at times, just imagining what a 1975 camera to have to lug that shit around the house (laughs) and just like slowly angle and make it through i just i i cannot put my head around how they pulled this off in such a bare bones way they're like literally bringing in leaves from out of town because there were no fall leaves where they were filming in california it's like this is it's the epitome of guerrilla filmmaking and somehow it becomes a sensation that like you know redefines horror and a lot of just general filmmaking for the next well forever (laughs) next 50 years yeah i mean there's always a discussion about how old hollywood would have these codes where they couldn't show certain things or do certain things and i always wonder how some filmmakers are limited by their budget and what they're able to pull off with those particular parameters and it seems like the more that you box in like whether it's budget or coding or um, executives, how some filmmakers will inadvertently create new techniques or subvert tropes because they're forced to do that. And I feel John Carpenter, if I could take a peek inside his mind, because oh, I know <laughs> it's like this movie, this movie is I'm smiling because it's such a great horror film and then you bring in the queen of nepotism kids James <laughs> Curtis <laughs> yes yeah and she yep. absolutely just blows our minds as like the final girl yes. which by the way if you haven't read um Carol Clover's um yes. Carol Clover, yes. I mean, even what's his name? Tarantino, what's his name? All, all the <laughs> film bros are going to come for me. That guy. <laughs> he went to a book signing of hers and he was like geeking out that he was meeting Carol Clover. But anything by Carol Clover who coined the term final girl. Yeah. We have Jamie Lee Curtis as Lori, who I we need to talk about Lori because, and Jamie yeah. Lee, what is your impression of? of Jamie Lee's Laurie and what do you think of her legacy as one of, in my opinion, the best final girl out there? Yeah. I mean, okay. Starting with just like the inside the original Halloween, I think that what to that point about like movies learn the wrong lesson from Halloween. I think that what makes Laurie Strode, such an incredible final girl is that yes, she is kind of this more proper restrained person, but it's not her perceived innocence. I think that fully defines her. Right. And it's also like in those car scenes she has um, with Annie, which Nancy Mm -hmm. keys just knocking it out of the park sidebar there, you know, when she's like, they're smoking and they're talking about their crushes. It's like, Lori is a normal repressed teenage girl, Mm -hmm. right? And 
she isn't this like over the top caricature of innocence that becomes the final girl after. And that like the strands are in there, but it's just part of her character. Um, and you know, as the archetype goes, it becomes blown out. But I think that what she masters and what Jamie Lee just slays is this moment where, I mean, it's like of the hour and a half long runtime, an hour of it's just build up. It's just tension. And then once it breaks, like you need to have an actress who can blow up with it. And once she has to face Michael, I think that the tenderness that she shows towards the children and mm -hmm. the love of her friends turns into this like, I am fucking terrified, but this motherfucker in this mask needs to go away. And that ferocity that she brings is in my head like the only the only figure who matches it ever is Sydney Prescott because Nev yeah, Campbell just like the, the the bear the bearer of the crown after. But I think that yeah, the two, the two like final girls, yeah. Yeah. And with I don't know, with um the twenty eighteen Halloween when they bring it back. Because like, you know, I am hit and miss on most of the sequels in mm -hmm. the like you know, the chunk between 75 and 2018. I am a Halloween three defender, but <laughs> that's, that's a different thing. Um, but I think that what the 2018 one does and to com continue the Laurie Strode story with Jamie Lee, um, regardless of how bad Halloween kills was and regardless of, I think how once again, a lot of movies have learned the wrong lessons from a Halloween movie. It's like, let's pile on the trauma. Yeah. Uh, like you don't need that, but the beauty of you know the pairing is that Jamie Lee, no matter what she's gone on to do, in between can just lock back into Lori, yes. and to have Lori be this like, yeah, she had this night where like as a repressed teenager was on the precipice of like I'm gonna find these things to love. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna let loose a little gets that ripped away from her by Michael Myers and then spends the rest of her life being like, I know you're coming back and you're not going to take anything else from me. And blocking that together to have that performance that started in 75 and is continuing. And I really hope Halloween ends <laughs> sticks the landing, but to, to have Laurie Strode just be like, I'm back bitches and I'm still the best. It's, she, she's iconic and she's iconic for a reason. And Jamie Lee, as you said, the ultimate nepotism babe. Like, I, I don't say it as a, as a yeah, sister, I say no, it as like affectionate. It's real. I mean, she, and she talks, I think one of the things I enjoy about her, her like, you know, old white rich lady issue comments notwithstanding. <laughs> It's the like, she's very aware of the fact that she is a nepotism child. And we'll talk about that. And I think really engages with her parents' yeah. um, legacies in a fun way. It's it's like, it's it's a true feat, the fact that she's able to, to I, iconize, not iconize, but like, Lori becomes this. Yeah, she becomes this emblem of like the final girl when her own mother, Marion, the character of Marion is already so entrenched in yeah. in the horror genre. But she surpasses that and makes Laurie 
her own legacy and she's embraced it so well. And as far as like Laurie, the character contained in that first film, what I love about Laurie is that she's always been a fighter, even before Michael Myers. She's always been on her own because we never see her parents. And um, she's always seemed to be a a person that's had to mature very quickly um, in order to survive, in order to get herself to school, to study, to, you know, do well. It's not because she's a prude or because she thinks sex is wrong or having fun is wrong. It's because she's had to have a particular kind of Candace to her life where she has to, you know, be mature and be responsible. And she didn't have the luxury that her other friends had where, you know, they could goof off, they could have fun, they could be teens. Lori has always had to follow the rules in order to survive. So then when you see her finally just let it loose and just be that person where she fucking survives and she grabs the knife and you can almost feel her anger and her resentment of having to be that person her entire life, especially because she's just a kid. She's a teenager. And she's like, this motherfucker really thinks. (laughs) You can come in here. (laughs) Mask wearing fool really thinks that I haven't gone through enough. Like, yeah, just Michael thinking he can underestimate her. Everybody else in the town thinking they can underestimate her. Everybody thinks they can underestimate Lori. And at the end of the day, she's more than transcended. She's like her own person. And I love Lori. I just, I really love Lori and I love Sydney Prescott. And I love those two female characters in the horror genre that represent resilience in Mm -hmm. feminine trauma specifically and how kind of they've reclaimed their life, their legacy, just a lot of things. And in spite of the many writing errors along the way, (laughs) (laughs) they're still like, and that's where Carol Clover comes in where like horror audiences have mostly been predominantly male. They come and see these women survive time and again and like they identify with them and that's so fucking powerful you know yeah yeah it's it's this like you know okay i feel like i need to i need to compliment my jim cameron jokes with like an actual <laughs> comment on jim cameron knowing what the fuck he's doing right like i think like you put in it is so rare especially around you know when the original halloween comes out afterwards for these flawed shattered but badass female leads to be a part of it you know jim gives us sarah connor and ellen ripley so yes there you go jim thank you for ripley and especially t2 sarah connor (laughs) um but like it is it's this what halloween does is just allow for this figure to go up against you know one of the most simplistically terrifying embodiments of evil mm-hmm. that I think we we get out of it, you know, like to it, right? Like we haven't gotten a good nightmare on Elm Street in forever. Freddy's off the radar. Again, fuck Friday the 13th. Come at me. I don't care. I think they're all awful. And, you know, the, the other monsters, we don't have these long running monsters. 
And like, if those are the big three, Michael is like, he's Bates. hugely ahead of everyone. And that, that duo of Laurie and Michael it's as so this kind of like, it's, I mean, so one of, if not my favorite shot in film history comes in Halloween when Laurie is against the wall with the black, pitch black doorway. And then Michael's face just slowly appears in the corner of the doorway. Because for me, that is that duo and that moment, that is the definition of horror in five seconds of like, okay, we have someone who's cowering and afraid, but no matter where you go, there will be darkness. And from that mm -hmm. darkness, something will come out to get you. And the way that they do that, which shout out to Dean Cundy as the DP on this movie with Carpenter, just being like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to embrace the low budget and just be like, we're going to shoot this like a weird German expressionism in the last <laughs> 20 minutes where it's dark out. And like that shadow doesn't make sense, but it looks fucking awesome. And, and I love that because that it just amplifies so much about these this duo that is the core um and no matter what again all the sequels do you you can't get rid of just the thrill of those two placed at odds um and you know i i love to continue my michael myers love rant um and the thing i hold most against the rob zombie halloween movies is mm. that we don't need an origin story for michael myers Michael Myers is just evil, and that's okay. We I, live in it. <laughs> go, it's, go ahead. It's like it's, it, and I think the you mentioned Jason, and it's like we're not blaming Mother today because we're not even blaming his sister because Michael Myers he killed yeah. his sister. They never give us a reason why. We don't need one because he's just evil, and he just wants to kill for the sake of killing. Killing, and like at the end of the day, that just shifts the spotlight in the in the human side to Lori, which is where yes. it should be, you yes. know? So Michael Meyer apologists, here we are. We don't <laughs> need to know why he's doing this. We just need to see him again and again, get taken down by Lori in every single movie. Yes. Yeah. I, it's like, it, we live in such an era of like, okay, every villain needs to have a relatable origin story. And every villain needs to have like this, oh, I understand why you're fucked up. And sometimes it works really well. Like Michael B. Jordan, Killmonger, give me that shit all the time. Because it's like, he's not really a villain. But when you have someone who's like, I'm in the suburbs and I'm hacking people up. Like, I don't need to know. I don't need to know, like, you weren't hugged enough as a child. You didn't like your sister's boyfriend. I don't really care. All I care about is that this is the embodiment of, hey, evil happens everywhere. Evil happens even where you don't think it will. And sometimes even when you shoot it and throw it out a window, it will survive because that's what evil does. And it's a constant struggle that doesn't end. So, you know, Halloween kills can say evil dies tonight <laughs> much as they want, but evil never dies. And so Michael Myers... Michael Myers persists because he never really dies and he doesn't need an explanation. And yeah. We just love Michael Myers, I love as, Michael a, Myers. as a horror figure. Um, 
especially because that motherfucker just keeps on rising. There's yeah. nothing can stop. The American army could come in there with a nuclear bomb and that man will still get up. Yeah, gets off, dusts off his shoulders. He's like, I'm ready to go. My overalls, not a single scratch yeah. on it. Let's go. Breathes but- heavily again. <laughs> There, that I think that's what's so captivating about Michael and so smart about keeping his origin story moot is because you still want to know, and yes. you still want to be like, what motivates this motherfucker to keep going? And like, at one point, I remember in the last Halloween movie, it's like this face-off between him and Lori, and you're like, oh, maybe he is taking it personal, and he's out to get Lori. And then it's like, no, he's out to get anybody that gets in his way. He's just out there to kill. And and you're like, oh. But still, there's still this tension between him and Lori, but it's because we created that. Like, the mystique and and like the mystery around the Lori and Michael thing is something that we created, Jamie Lee created, John Carpenter created. But narratively in the canon, Michael is not motivated by Lori. Like, he's motivated by just, like, continuing to kill and cause violence. And, like, I mean, to me, they took it a step too far when they killed Judy Greer. I was like, all right. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't need that. I was like, also because Judy Greer is great and she didn't need to. She She didn't need to bite the dust. All right. Like, what is this? What, what are we doing? <laughs> I, I feel like even Michael Meyer would not want to kill Judy Greer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I was like, eh, I could do with that. <laughs> I can find someone uh, else. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'll get your bratty daughter. We don't we, we don't need Judy. But um also speaking of the violence and of it's a huge part of the slasher, and it's um we can talk all day about responsibility of like mm-hmm. portraying violence but i want your opinion and your take on how camp the mm. violent acts are because especially in halloween what is your opinion on the scene where these two kids are having sex for the first time and he goes and gets something like one, one of the guy the guy goes and gets something in the kitchen and then he's dead yes impaled with a knife against a wooden yeah board and the girlfriend's waiting and then michael is standing with a white sheet over him oh yeah sunglasses on yeah he is and the girl's like oh hi babe or whatever blah 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 but it's michael fucking myers and then she's fucking dead what do you think about that whole entire sequence and what does it say about michael myers in general yeah well first clearly michael myers fucks (laughs) I, i think we think we need to recognize as a society uh no um <laughs> we can't really, move on unless yeah. we recognize that michael myers fucks yes um so no i'm really glad you bring that sequence up because i actually think that something that gets lost often in the halloween sequels mm-hmm. um in that kind of like so in this camp and then humor side of things right like i think that what that sequence shows to me is like you know this is a if we think of some of the psychology of michael myers not as a like let's understand how he operates but just like okay he killed his sister as a child and then he's been locked up his whole life he doesn't talk so you imagine there's just so much going on in his head and if you think of some arrested (laughs) development there it's like 
you know, this twisted imagination has got to go somewhere. I think Michael Myers just has this incredibly fucked up sense of humor where he's like, I'm going to fuck with this person before I kill them. And, you know, it's he like he also clearly likes to appreciate his work. I mean, after he after he fucks that guy into the the wall, you know, he's got that like head tilt. He's like, mm, yes, mm-hmm. this may be my masterpiece. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I think that I think that Michael Myers and Kevin McAllister from Home Alone would get along really well. Mm-hmm because they both like setting up shit for people to walk into in houses. And if, if Michael Myers had a John Hughes budget, Laurie Strode, oh man, she would have gone through so much shit. Um, <laughs> Laurie. Yes. But I, I think, I don't even, I've never thought of that sequence as camp as much. I mean, like, I understand the argument. I totally get it, um, that it is campy. But at the other, on the other hand, I take it so much more as Michael just, it's a cat and mouse thing. And he wants to have fun as he's, maybe maybe fun isn't the word, but like he clearly wants to make a pageant. Oh, of, he's a sadist. This yeah. is fun for him. This is yeah. like, this is his Olympics. <laughs> this is the like, Michael Myers Olympics. <laughs> he's like, how many people can I kill? And how fucking funny can I make it yeah. for myself? Because when he kills his sister, he's dressed in a clown suit and he's wearing this clown yes. mask. Yeah. But to him, this is this is artistry. This is um, what do you call it? Uh, like a not a show, but um, fuck, I forgot the word. And it's been all over the Nope uh, reviews. Oh, um, spectacle! It's a spectacle. spectacle. This is yeah. his spectacle. And I appreciate that it's so forward and the film is very wink, wink. Like we know how ridiculous this psychotic man is. He escaped a psych ward and he's just killing people now. Yeah. Which I appreciate, you know? Yeah. And how it sets up for the turn when Laurie becomes an actual threat to him. The (laughs) second the fun disappears, it's just like, no, I got to kill her. (laughs) <laughs> this is for real. This we've had enough yeah. enough fun. He's like, oh, okay, we're done fucking around. <laughs> the uh, the training wheels are off. <laughs> I've had time. fun. It's time yeah. to put the toys away and yeah. <laughs> time to really play. Yeah, and then he gets stabbed with a hanger and takes a nap and is like, "What am I doing with my life? I can't kill this teenager." Um, <laughs> I love the idea that you bring up of like, oh, I wonder what's going through his mind. He must really be like some real psychotic with a lot of thoughts. And it's just like Michael Myers is like head empty, no thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> kill, kill, kill. Yeah. No, it's it's great. I mean, I feel like the worst case scenario of Halloween being made is Ridley Scott and his Blade Runner era, just like having Harrison Ford do some uh do some narration for the Michael Myers thoughts. What about Owen, Owen Wilson? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like oh. the only way it works is if it's Ray Liotta. And it's just like, <laughs> what if Henry Hill <laughs> was Michael Myers? <laughs> I always wanted to be a killer. That's what's so fun about Michael. He's so malleable because he doesn't have a, a real personality yeah. 
then you could just be like, well, what if Jerry Seinfeld started doing some internal <laughs> monologues from <laughs> Michael Myers, B-movie style? Lori, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. her. <laughs> <laughs> She's crazy. <laughs> I I really do. I really do love Michael Myers in like a in a fucked up way. Which like discussing the slasher part of the slasher. Yeah. Something the reason why I don't take the slasher violence as something uh, you know like hyper violence and like people are going to start killing it's it's because it's it's always connected to being a teenager and coming of age and how fucking violent it is to go through those changes. Add that some psycho wanting to kill you just because you want to make a few extra bucks babysitting some fucking bratty kids. Yeah. Like, yeah. What do you think of like some of the slasher or some of the more slashering <laughs> slinging slashing sla- okay this is not a spongebob podcast <laughs> <laughs> what do you what are some of your favorite slashing moments on halloween some of your favorite um, kills yeah 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 um i i think that oh boy it's like choosing my favorite child Oh my god, equating kills to children. You heard it here, folks. I mean this is, coming, is Michael Myers. Coming from someone who doesn't think he'll have children, it's it's a it's a moot point. But oh. anyway, I'm I'm vamping to spare for time. No, I think I think that the kill that hits me hardest every time um is Annie's death in the car. Oh. Um because Again, it, it's inter- of course I picked the one that doesn't actually happen with the knife. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I love I love the stabbing the guy into the wall. Like I think that that's just that's iconic and fucking incredible. But because we've talked about it, I want to talk about the Annie kill um, because I th- I think that that whole sequence um, in setting up this idea of the car kill like that and this movie does not have a ton of jump scares. Mm-mm. It has a you but that one in there for me is the the perfect thing and carpenter does this throughout his career where it's like i'm gonna pick the perfectly timed one to make you shit yourself and annie coming in noticing that it's fogged up and then it's dark in the back and then michael just explodes out and it's brutal and it's so sad because we love annie and she's such great character a lot like to make the connection i think a lot about margot kidder's performance in black christmas as like this this comparable kind of character and so i think that that kill as far as like this is the kill that is unexpected um that is then with the i can't even remember his name the guy stabbed into the wall which also i think I, ca- I cannot verify this, so you know anyone can fact check me or don't. But him saying "I'll be right back" when he leaves the bedroom, I think, is the first time that that happens in a horror movie. I think you might be right. I mean, that that might be something I've heard before. Yeah, I'm not. I again, I cannot fact check this, but <laughs> a kill that originates something like that, and then is also just like, holy shit, he put him in the wall. Um, and dragged him like yeah. the strength of Michael Myers with a knife 
dragging this guy up and like pinning him against the wall. Ugh. Yeah. Mas- I mean, I get why he stopped and like stared. It was like, yeah, yeah my it's real like, masterpiece. Wow. My vision. Just kiss. <laughs> yeah. And I think it leading into this, just like doubling back a little when we were talking about, I guess at the top, you're talking about the camera and the, the motion. I think that's something. And I, you know, I don't actually know if this connection is there, but between, you know, three years earlier when um, Jaws comes out, right? And there's, since we were talking about Jaws, so much of that perspective and the voyeurism, there's so much of the voyeuristic camera for Michael that it's in that hour of lead up, it's like, it's watching. And we're always thinking about Michael is watching Laurie. He's watching other people. Um, and then to have this moving camera also, even if it's not in that perspective, it's so much about Carpenter's bringing our attention to that. So then once he's actually giving us something to look at that is horrifying, most of the kills happen in that very short period of time at the end, which I think people forget about because you think about Halloween, you think about that just like breakneck adrenaline 25 minutes or so at the end where it's like holy shit everyone's dead everyone calm down michael's like nah i can't calm down no no i'm on i found a metric ton of cocaine and i'm ready to just fucking kill i found some meth in the box and (laughs) no one claimed it so finders keepers it's mine it's mine now he's like i gotta do all of it now so no one comes and tries to get any from me so it's just that's how he survives the fall (laughs) <laughs> right? He's so fucking high. He's like, I'm fine, man. I'm invincible. <laughs> He's high on crystal meth. Wouldn't that be the funniest motivator? That's it, everyone. We found it. It's not psychological trauma. It's not genetics. It's crystal Drugs. meth. Yep. <laughs> crystal meth. Yeah. Oh, my God. The Okay. Being a voyeur, because as viewers of films, we are, you know, we're voyeurs and like whatever we see, we are consuming. And I, I've always found it because with horror films, I feel like that's where the, the technique is used the most because we're, we're being drawn to the horror, to the spectacle, to specific moments. We get that jump scare, but I love how it transcends the specific uh, sub-genres of horror films. Like, you have Alien, which is used a lot as well. And then you have Black Christmas, which, to me, I'm more deathly afraid of the original Black Christmas than Halloween. Like, I find Black Christmas to be a lot more terrifying. And a lot of it is that voyeuristic use of the camera and the roving camera and, like, tracking through the house and with Halloween, it's so visceral as well. Because at one point you ask yourself, why the fuck am I being put in the POV of Michael Myers? Yeah. That whenever those scene happens and you see Laurie, you're like, oh, we are on the hunt with him. Which is yes. fucking insanely terrifying, especially in that moment. Like, yeah. The roving cameraman, the tracking yeah. camera. It's, it's the. It's the wonderful way of we don't need a monologue about Michael Myers bearing his soul because because of those moments when we're put in his head through his perspective, it's like 
it's not that, and this is where I think, you know, the, the constant Twitter bullshit about <laughs> uh, like morals and how we can't have characters who are ever doing bad things. I'm like, uh, calm down, everyone. Do you guys just want to be boring? Just watch I know. things all day? I know. And, and I feel like what Carpenter is doing here, he's not saying, hello, you must relate to Michael Myers. He, he's putting us in this perspective and being like, you have to reckon with the fact that you are watching this movie. Mm-hmm. And now you are actually experiencing it from Michael's perspective in a way that we never get really from Laurie's besides some of those tracking and reverse tracking, which are kind of point of view, but aren't entirely. It's the only person we directly go through is Michael starting mm-hmm. at the beginning and then popping in throughout. And it is like, just like you're saying, it's that the voyeurism is so ratcheted up, which like clearly, you know, it's pulling from Hitchcock. It's pulling from, that was Hitchcock's big move, right? He's like, oh, you know what? He's talking about voyeurism. Um, He's like, you perverts out there, (laughs) coming for you. Yeah, we got you. Um, In 4K. (laughs) 50 millimeter. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And the fact that, what, an hour of this movie takes place in daylight, too, it's like, he's just like, I don't care if it's dark. I don't care if it's bright out. Michael Myers is still fucking terrifying. These people still don't know what's happening. And nobody's listening to Dr. Loomis, who's like, he's coming in Donald Trump. who? Yeah. <laughs> Michael Pudd. who? Yeah. I, I mean, I we could talk about voyeurism for hours because it's those tracking shots you mentioned between him and Laurie. I think those are the best blend of gray area in the entire film because it poses the question, what really makes Laurie and Michael so different? Mm-hmm. We know what makes them so different, but at the same time, Lori is a child. Michael is also a child. He never grew up from that kid that got the mask yanked off by his parents after you find out that he killed his sister. And when Carpenter does that, it's so provocative. And it's the the best use of, like, voyeurism. And then it makes you also think about... I think about found footage a lot, like found footage horror films when it comes to that, because it's such a mind fuck because you're in Michael's POV. But then if you go to a found footage film, you're in the POV of the person holding the camera, but also the director. So it's like all these different points of view kind of muddy the waters on like humanity, who we are, who are we watching this violent act take place? Where does our empathy begin and end with a character like Michael because we do get the small fragment of like he was a kid when he was put in this insane asylum so then like it's a provocative film it's like the blueprint of horror um slasher specifically what are your final thoughts on Halloween Mm -hmm. the Halloween franchise Lori final girl Carol Clover Michael Myers fucks like <laughs> just a blanket, you know, final yeah. thoughts on Halloween. I I think that Halloween is 
that transcendent film, like regardless of how we want to talk about in horror or any genre, um, it's the fact that it is, there is nothing in Halloween that doesn't add to the experience. And that's not to say, right, I, I don't subscribe to the idea that, you know, every scene must further the plot or every scene must further character film. I think the pauses are fine in film um, and storytelling. What I do think it needs is that you don't want to get into a scene and be like, this serves no purpose. Halloween, every single shot, every single line, it serves a purpose in an entrancing way. And then to study Halloween as a textbook for filmmaking is just, you know, Carpenter is always in his bag. I, John Carpenter has made some bad movies, but he's never made a movie that I, don't, that I think was cinematically uninteresting. Mm-hmm. Because he's always doing something. Even if it's not working, you're like, I see that choice. And that's <laughs> curious. Um, it's it's the, uh, the, the Daniel Craig meme. <laughs> There's something about it. <laughs> me. Um, but I think that Halloween is it's Carpenter in his bag, just like full on working with these friends and colleagues that he's just so close with and being like, I don't know, we are going to make something that is just raw. It's just like it is it is elemental as far as filmmaking goes and screenwriting and everything. And then, you know, just over the top to have one of the most iconic themes outside of John Williams to just be like, it just, it drives, it goes and Halloween's perfect. And I, I just love it. I will watch it forever again and again and always find something new to love. I, I love that. I love Halloween. I love horror. I love, how beautiful the film is because it in itself, it's a very beautifully made film. Um, I love the characters. I love that Michael Myers has no motivation known to its audience. I love Lori and Jamie Lee's love for the character of Lori. And it's the perfect fall movie. It's the perfect October movie. And it's a wonderful film to watch if you just want to, learn about filmmaking and screenplay writing and also it's a movie that takes risks and I love films that take risks and I mean it's very clear that the risks paid off because it's one of the the most talked about horror films of our time and regardless of what happened in Halloween Kills and um <laughs> we're praying the next one is, <laughs> is a winner please <laughs> <laughs> um Halloween is always worth watching. I'm probably going to end up rewatching it again um, in October, as I do every year. Yes. Devin, thank you so much for joining us, and let's talk for reals. Um, thank thank no. you so much for having me. This was a blast. I love this. And, you know, anytime you need someone to ramble on about uh, alien ponytail dicks, sharks, and uh, John Carpenter. I'm oh here. God, look at that. <laughs> look at his areas of ex- expertise, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, and non-binary friends of this podcast. <laughs> no, we really do have to do an episode on Black Christmas. We might end up doing yeah. it for December because that movie scared the shit out of me the first time I watched it. It rules. It rules so hard. I, I just, 
I I cannot, you know, it, okay, if you're listening to this podcast and you have watched Halloween recently, or I don't know, I mean, you can always rewatch it, but if you're looking for something to fill the void, Black Christmas, you cannot do better. And I don't care if it, whatever month of the year, Black Christmas works. Because yes, it's a Christmas movie, but more so than that, it's just a kick-ass horror movie. And Bob Clark is, Bob Clark's great and underappreciated. Canadian King. He really went off. He really he went did. off. He went into that sorority house and said, I am going to make the scariest yeah. college experience ever. Yeah. And then I'm going to make a Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> Devin, thank you again so much for joining us. And everyone that listens to, to Let's Talk for Reels, please check out Devin's uh, socials that will be linked down below. And remember to check out ScreenSpec. Um, this is the second time I'm mentioning ScreenSpec in a podcast. Please don't roast me. <laughs> I completely forgot to plug in my own website. Um, <laughs> but this uh, podcast is produced by ScreenSpec. Um, and join me next week for a new episode of Let's Talk for Reels on Thursdays. Thank you so much. And everyone, have a wonderful rest of your day, week, month, year, whenever you're listening to this. Oh, 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 oh,